Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Wow, what an amazing episode with Robert Brooker. We talked about all sorts of stuff. I'm talking, we talked about entrepreneurism. We talked about him starting a bagel shop in Hungary, graduating from Harvard, his book he just wrote, him supporting the Biden administration for their new uh, campaign for the presidential election coming up. I mean, this guy is a modern day renaissance man. It was just super fun. We talked investing. I mean, it was like probably one of the most high powered shows we've had in a while with a true renaissance man. Stay tuned. Hope you enjoy the show. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatest Machine. I'm your host, Darius Machazzi. And boy, do we have a special guest. My man, Robert Brooker, is in the house. What's up, Robert? So good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, man. this is Listeners, you don't know this. This is like a year in the making. Maybe two years in the making because I was bu- bugging Robert. And he's like, no, I only, want you, I only want you to invite me on the show if you really want me on the show. I'm like, I wouldn't have invited you if I didn't want you on the show. So... <laughs> <laughs> you're so you're so humble robert uh, you didn't you're like not knowing why i want you on the show because you're such a badass well so, you, man, create, you, you created expectation because you call it the greatness machine and so i mean you know that i don't know if I, I qualify for that but anyway i'm I'm honored to be a charity case on your show <laughs> um well before we get started with the show do you mind if i do a little bit of housekeeping and then we'll get rolling absolutely Awesome. So for listeners who are new to the show, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. People are living their passions and those creating greatness and doing so despite the odds. And my friend uh, Robert here is neither short of passion nor greatness. So how I know Robert and why he had the, uh, you know, not everyone has the option of like having me like ask and then like giving me a hard time about why they need to be on the show. But um, but Robert and I are in uh, Tiger 21 together. We've been in the group for almost three years now. And um, instantly I was like, you know, you start to learn about people pretty deep when you're in these, like these entrepreneur groups and CEO groups and investor groups. It's a, it's a really a, a the, one of the tenants is confidentiality. So we talk, we go pretty deep, pretty quick. We get in the deep end. So instantly, I was pretty intrigued by Robert, and I was like, man, he would be a really fun person to have on the show. Um, and so I was intrigued out of the gates. It took me a little while to convince him to be on the show, but but here we are. Um, I'd love to, if you don't mind, I'd love to give a little bit of your formal bio. I know, I know you're, you're in a very cool season sure. of your life right now, but you go, uh, you mind if I do that? Sure. Please go ahead. 
Awesome. Let's do it. So Robert is a serial entrepreneur. We actually uh, have kind of rubbed elbows through, through groups like Entrepreneurs Organization and Tiger 21. Uh, he's acquired over 20 profitable businesses over 20 years. We're going to go from bagel shops to SaaS to tons of different cool businesses that he's done, tons of entrepreneurial ventures. And he's probably one of one of the more active investors I know. So, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to dive into kind of the things you're doing in that world. And most notably, uh, there's two things recently that he's done. One is we're going to be talking about his new book. I'm going to miss. I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but is Albert Kinnear? Kinnear, yes. Oh gosh, when your last you name is Shazade, yeah. you get a natural <laughs> talent for producing for, for pronouncing last names properly, as well as uh, your new your newest uh, endeavor of helping to raise support for the reelection of President Biden. So, man, uh, got a lot going on. You've, you've been doing some amazing things in your life. I truly do believe that living a life where you're engaged and doing awesome things such as yourself, that that is greatness. But would you mind giving us a little bit of your origin story, Robert? Yeah, sure. So I, uh, you know, I grew up most, mostly in Texas, uh, where I graduated high school. Uh, I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm leaving Texas. I'm never coming back went to Boston and uh, Europe and New York and um, and um, um, later decided I like Texas and came back to Texas. But, you know, basically I uh, started my life in finance and and want to be, I had this sort of urge to be an entrepreneur that I've had for a long time. And I, um, you know, it's funny, my first job was about predicting interest rates. So we can, so we can touch on that later. But the but I decided I want to be an entrepreneur. And I wanted my first business was this, you know, I went to Eastern Europe, the, the Berlin Wall had just fallen, and started a uh, one bagel shop that lost some money that uh, had to build 14 more to get to, to get to break even. And, um, and I had zero like qualifications for that business. Um, and, you know, and I, I tried to be an entrepreneur uh, multiple times with, um, with, you know, not, uh, I say mod modest success. And after trying it a certain number of times, I just told myself, look, I can't, uh, you know, I was starting a family and so forth. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I just want to, I don't know if I'm just not lucky or uh, I'm not good at it, but I just want to buy companies that are already profitable because they've, you know, they've already had the burn rate and, are front and I didn't have any money. So I had to raise money. And, and I just did that, you know, over and over again. Um, always taking a little more of the deal, um, theoretically getting a little bit better at it each time. And, um, and I did that for, for, you know, for 20 years. And as you know, now, um, I'm pretty much finished with that and I'm, I'm trying to, uh, maybe I'm, I'm taking inspiration from you and trying to, to live some of the poetic life and trying to give back to, 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 to our society and uh, doing investing as you know. I love that. By the way, uh, for listeners who don't know that Robert just dropped, um, a, a line from my uh, core purpose, which is to live a poetic life. So I, 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 I picked up on that, which is awesome. I appreciate I that. I love that but... about you. <laughs> Thank you, man. Um, I love that you love that about me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I don't want to ignore, like, I'd like to kind of dig a little bit into the first business because um, like moving to like, I don't know if the listeners picked up the magnitude where you said, yeah, the Berlin wall just, you know, just fell and, you know, by the way, you, you're very humble. You, you, I went up to Boston and went to school and got my uh, undergraduate and graduate degree. Of, you got an MBA from and an undergraduate degree from Harvard. Isn't that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, 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 that's I, you know, but uh, for listeners, you know, when people went to Harvard, because they'll say, I went to a school up in Boston. That's like, a, that's like a Harvard. <laughs> it's a Harvard thing, is it not? Mm -hmm. I, suppose, like, like the, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> 
kind of, I, yes. I know a lot of people from Harvard and they yeah. all, that's a thing you say. You're like, yeah, I went to school up in Boston. You're like, oh, they went to Harvard. Yeah. Um, I went to a little place outside New York in the, up near Connecticut. You went to Yale, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you go to UC so, Santa Barbara, you just say you went to UC Santa Barbara. <laughs> well, yeah, there are a lot of schools in Boston. So, I mean, it could be, it could be a lot of things, but I hear what you're, you're saying. Yeah. You're taking cover. You're taking cover. Yeah, so, yeah. so you, so you graduated Harvard, and you're like, "Hey, I'm going to go start a bagel shop in mm -hmm. in, in uh, I think you were in Hungary, right? Budapest. Hungary, that yeah, correct? that's right. Yeah. So, so I, I love the story. I think it would be fun for the listeners to hear it. But tell us a little bit, like, how are you? Like, yeah, we should do New York bagels in in Hungary. Like, in what year well, was this? Like 1989 or something like that? No, this is, well, this was, uh, we started up in, in 1992. So the wall had come oh, down, yeah. you know, a couple of years earlier. And, uh, you know, this is just, and with, uh, with, with uh, uh, a couple of partners and close friends, um, you know, we were just on that, we had sort of conventional jobs, let's say. And we just had that impulse that you're familiar with of, you know, we want to be entrepreneurs. We want to, um, and trying to figure out, you know, had all these sort of crazy ideas, you know, as I'm sure you've, you've, you've been through. And eventually kind of this idea of, uh, we were like, we were going to get uh, rights to a tequila brand in, in Eastern Europe. And then we were going to do frozen yogurt in Pakistan. I don't know. There are all these like crazy stuff. And then finally we decided, let's just do, you know, bagel, like Starbucks had just kind of gotten started. Um, and bagels were big and, uh, and bagel companies were going public at that time. And we're like, let's start a bagel shop in, uh, in Hungary. And the problem was that, you know, we, we didn't really know Hungary very well. We didn't speak Hungarian, uh, didn't, uh, didn't know the bagel business. It was like all the things it's like retail food business is a notoriously bad business. A lot of young people, you know, they hang out at restaurants and bars and because it's in their proximity and it's easy to understand or appears to be. You know, that's a very common thing for young entrepreneurs to do. Um, and they tend yep. to be terrible businesses. They can be good to get started and sort of get started with owning a company and entrepreneurship, but generally they're terrible businesses. And this was no exception. Yeah, it's funny. I'm listening to uh, Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain right now, which mm, have you, have you read yeah, that book? Great book. Yeah. I love that book. Yeah. I'm about halfway through the book and he, and if, if anyone out there wants to start a, a restaurant, listen to that book first or read that book because he's, he's ripping into basically like the failure rates, like 80% or something like that, 90%, like in like a very really short high. period of time. Really? Yeah. High. But, but to your point, like what's funny is so when I got into entrepreneurship, my, my dad was in retail, right? My dad owned gas stations and he was like, oh, yeah. this is the worst business, you know, like, and my father would say, you don't make money selling gas, you make money selling gas stations, right? Which mm -hmm. is pri private equity, essentially. Um, and so he, he was astute for his time, but, but I, I knew I'm like, yeah, retail's a grind, right? So, so, so yeah, to your point, the, uh, the risk matrix stacked up against you country. We don't know city. We don't know product. We don't know. Oh, and let's <laughs> layer on top of that restaurant. Yes. Um, could, so, could not have been worse. Yeah. <laughs> so as an investor, I'm gonna put your investor hat on. You're like thumbs up or thumbs down. Totally thumbs down. We had, and it was th the thing is that we were so we so much didn't want to fail, and we're raising money. Uh, and you know, now it seems like small dollar amounts at the time it seemed like a lot of money. We didn't have any money, and uh, the and so yeah, we were just. Uh, and I think most of the investors knew it was a terrible idea, but the. Um, but they just thought that, you know, sometimes entrepreneurship kind of trumps, you know, oftentimes, you know, you look like some, you know, some restaurants, food business do really well and airlines are supposed to be terrible, but then you have Herb Keller who starts Southwest Airlines and it does really well. So occasionally like entrepreneurship can trump conventional wisdom. 
Uh, and so we were able to kind of cobble together enough money to, uh, to start this thing. So, so like, um, Obviously, it, it didn't work out, which is pretty common, I think, especially for first entrepreneurial ventures. My first entrepreneurial venture, which a thumbs down from an investment standpoint, was a like, nightclub promotion business. I mean, I mean, it, those businesses, by the way, can be successful. But to your point, like all businesses, and you name every industry, every tough, crappy industry there is. And there's someone in there building a billion dollar business is more than likely. Yes. Right. Yes. But it's just like, what is the odds of you building a successful business is, is the, is really the question, right? Well, you know, what's funny is that I had, so a really close friend of mine visited me three days ago and his son, who's a college student, uh, started that business, a nightclub promotion business. And I thought of you and I, I oh. thought of you when he said that, because that's a very common thing for like a young person to do. And sometimes sure. they do make money and for, and for, for a kid, like they make, you can make really good money if you're like, if you're, if you're a young person and it just gets you kind of in the game as an entrepreneur. Totally. Yeah. It was uh, the first business I ever had that lost a hundred grand, which was super fun. Uh, but, mm. but it does it. You, you kind of get your chops, right? Like, which is yeah. to your point, like you got to start somewhere. So whenever I hear about these people in their twenties that, that crush it and they have their first huge exit, I'm like, half me has this like schadenfreude perspective, which is I'm like, Oh, I wish they failed. Like I did. And then the other part of me is like, yeah, you know what? Like better to be lucky than good. I actually think that, that, it, unless they make enough where they can never have to work again for their life, that that may actually not serve them in their next it, for the bigger successes. What do you think about that? I think I completely agree with you. In fact, I worry for um, anybody who's raising money for a business if they haven't failed before. That's a big red flag, and the biggest red flag is someone who's young and had a big success on their first deal, because two things happen: they think they're invincible. And they think anything that they think they have the Midas touch, which they don't. They think it basically got lucky, mostly, um, mm -hmm. in almost all cases. And secondly, you know, some people who have this image of themselves as being successful um, on their second thing, you know, starts not going well. And they start their identity is so tied up being successful that they sort of hide the fact that it's not going well. And they try to cover up stuff. I've seen this happen, you know, multiple times, and um, and so that's really a. Um, I think it's a total, you know, you know, kudos to people who succeed early, but um, but I think it's um, it, it becomes dangerous later later on, most often, and yep. usually they, they don't just take their chips off the table and stop. They usually double down, or oftentimes double down. Of course, they have the Midas touch. This is yeah. just a speed bump. This is, <laughs> yeah, yes, the, yes. The, they're like, no, I mean, like, I'm going to, this is, I'm going to be Steve Jobs. Like, this is like, this is just like when Pepsi fired, the CEO of Pepsi <laughs> fired me when he became president. Like, this has nothing to do with me. Right. Yes. Um, but I can't remember the name. What was the name of his next company that failed? He had a couple failures in a row that he had the, that, oh, yeah, uh, had next. It was called next. Next. I think. Wasn't it the computer? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 Most people don't know. Like next was a massive failure, like massive yeah. failure. Right. And then, and then he had a couple big wins right after that. So it's, it's, there's a saying in business that's one of my favorite, which is success has many fathers and failure is an orphan. Yes. So I love that one. It, it's, it's one of my favorites. And and so when I hear, I, I, it's funny, I got approached the other day, there was a, a guy I mentored. So, you know, EO entrepreneurs organization has their accelerator program. You're mm -hmm. familiar with that. So I went, uh, this is a decade ago and I did a whole, pre this is before I wrote, wrote my book on core values, but I did a presentation on core values as a mentor for the mm. accelerator group in San Francisco. And there was a guy that pulled me aside who was a, he had an orthodontics practice and he was like, oh man, that was the best. And we started talking, we became friends. I ended up mentoring him for a couple of years. And I, I actually, he, he hit me up the other day and he's like, hey, I have this guy, Jake, I want to introduce you to who, uh, 
you have to talk to. And, I, and I'm like, well, what's it about? He's like, Jake, you know, he just exited. He built a company to 600 employees. He's 25 years old and he wants to start a mortgage company. And I was mm-hmm. like, tell him he's, tell him that he's not to do it. I actually was an asshole. I said, <laughs> tell him he's just because he got lucky. Doesn't mean he's right on this one. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes <laughs> that was my you response. Hear, sometimes you got to hear that message because if it's not super strong, you'll just, you'll be so self-confident. You'll ignore, um, advice that's that's presented gently yeah it's 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 interesting so you ended up having this 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 first big failure how did you recover from that because i think that a lot of people at that point would have said packed it in and been like all right i i failed i'm gonna go get a job and you know this entrepreneurism is not meant for me what what was your next move you know a lot of it i think a lot of entrepreneurs is sort of just in their blood they just they just want to do it and um you know the first thing i did i I had gotten into business school and i'd been deferring so uh, i decided okay and they they said business school said look if you defer another year you're gonna have to apply again i was like well if i apply again i might not get in so let me do that so i did that um i worked at microsoft for a summer uh and uh and then um and it was just still in my blood and i thought well i'm going to learn from that experience and i'm going to do uh um but you know i still you know it's funny i had that you know i remember one uh, you know I'll, I'll we don't have time for details on it but i had this meeting with jeff bezos like very early on he must have had like 50 people and he talked about how he's going to dominate the book business online i'm like i'm coming from retail background where location is important and your products are the same as all the other books out there there's no way you're going to be successful um and so you know i just um you know one of many uh examples of my uh of, of my poor judgment but the um but no, i kind of had had it in my blood that i wanted to, i wanted to that you just keep swinging keep trying and eventually it will succeed. And so that's what, uh, that's what I endeavored to do, uh, a couple of times, um, after, um, you know, after I graduated business school. This episode is brought to you by Shopify in the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter and Gamble, Ben and Jerry and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you. 
They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life. Canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. Did you, um, so this is a question out of my own curiosity, you know, a lot obviously the world's changed as far as the barriers of entry for entrepreneurism and how we kind of view how you build a business. It's, it's there's more access to the average person just because the world's more digital as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, when you were first building your businesses in the nineties and I was building my businesses in the early aughts and late nineties, it was much more expensive to start a business. And there was much more of this clear path. And it was, I think much more popular to go get your MBA than maybe it is even now. Do you think that getting an MBA is a, really important step for some folks if they want to start their own business like what are your thoughts on that and again you have an mba from one of the best you know schools Um, in the country i would say uh no it's not the most critical thing i think a more more valuable thing is is peer groups and i know you're a huge fan of that whether it's eo or other peer groups of entrepreneur peer groups or whatever industry you're in peer groups because that's sort of real-time stuff that's valuable for you at the moment the thing about an mba i mean it gives you some skills you use immediately but a lot of the MBA is about you know how to be a CEO, and you won't use those skills uh, for for ten or twenty years, let's say, and by that time it may be it may be obsolete. Sometimes it's still valuable, and so I think it's. But I think MBA can be great for a pivot if you're in one industry and you want to pivot to another industry. You get a lot of job opportunities that you wouldn't get if you didn't get an MBA. Um, so I think it's it's valuable. It's it's a valuable time to think about things. It's, you do a good internship in the summer, so it does have its value. But I, um, I, uh, you know, for an entrepreneur, I don't think it. Um, maybe it marginally helps success in entrepreneurship, but I don't think it's a critical element at at all. Okay. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. So let's let's kind of pivot to the first big success. You you left your MBA program. You tried a few new things. I'd love to hear what the first like taste of success. You're like, yeah, I think I know what I'm doing. Well, here's the thing. So, so we, so there was a business that um, I co-founded, and uh, it was an early. You know, it's funny the thing about entrepreneurship is not only do you have to have a good idea, but you have to have the, the good timing for the idea. Mm-hmm. And this idea was, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations. That's become sure, like, yeah, a, yeah. like the DOO, which has become a big thing now. Well, in the year 2000, like that acronym didn't even exist. And my partner and I thought, let's start a business where we have like a mutual fund, but it's like a DAO mutual fund where the investors in the fund through sort of collective intelligence and, and, and make collective decision making, like they vote on what stocks to buy and sell and that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, so we created this platform. And uh, then the internet crash happened, you know, starting in April of, of 2000. And we had all the, we built this technology and we had all these customers like Schwab and, and other financial institutions that were really interested. And then suddenly they said, we're not, 
you know, we're not going to, we're on pause now. And I'm like, what do, oh, you no what do you mean you're on pause? Like we just spent all this money and all this time and we were about to run out of money and we had the opportunity to buy a, um, a company that kind of did, it wasn't decentralized, but it did accounting for investment clubs and investment partnerships. And it did like the mm -hmm. tax forms and partnership accounting. And, uh, and so we ended up uh, buying that company, uh, partly with equity and a little bit of cash that we had. And it already had like 10,000 customers and, you know, and suddenly we were able to get to break even. And I was like, you know what, gosh, that, and that company had been around already for 20 years. So it had, you know, it's slow to grow customers, you know, 20 years acquire a lot of customers. So that was the realization. And I'm like, you know what, like that saved me and, and us at our company. And I just want to keep, keep doing this. This is, this is my thing. And so that's, that's when I, that's when I made the pivot. And so, so you, you didn't know that business actually, number one, kudos to you for starting like probably the world's first DAO. Um, I don't know if you, you should be like Al Gore and take full credit for that. Like, like you, like you're, you're the first DAO guy. That's my new thing for you. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, like, is that, is that, is that, I mean, that sounds like a DAO to me. I mean, is that, I mean, I know maybe it wasn't on the blockchain, but it was not on the blockchain. Technically, uh, yeah, it was not on the blockchain. And technically you could, um, it wasn't completely autonomous in the sense that we could, you know, go through the back door and maybe, you know, we could be like God through the back door. So it wasn't maybe pure form DAO, but it was definitely pretty close to it. Yeah. Conceptually. Conce yeah. I, I don't care what everyone says. Conceptually, you started the first DAO. Okay. Um, all right, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so here you are, you, you pivot, right. To save your company, you buy this company. Why were they willing to sell? Were they just like, we're over it. They're not making that much money or like, what? Um, they were, um, they were actually the founders. There were these wonderful, um, four people who were friends from Unitarian, um, uh, church in, in Silicon Valley. And they started this in retirement. They started the company in retirement. And they uh, so they decided that this was 20 years after they retired that they were ready to sell the company. So that was the that was the situation. Interesting. Okay, so it was really more of like a demographic move where they were like, "Hey, I'm yes. really I'm I'm like 80 now or 70. Yes. I, I want to I don't want to work anymore." Um. So so I mean that's obviously that's like a interesting like place to end up. And then and then did you guys end up taking that business and selling it eventually? What happened? What was the eventual? Yeah, eventually we we, def we definitely we ended up rolling up a bunch of companies that did investing related products, mostly analytical. Some of them were accounting. There was a small segment in the UK that did sort of what we did in the US, but in the UK, uh, and um, and ended up um, selling it to. Have you ever heard of Better Investing? It's a nonprofit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's, it's 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 very um, and the re one reason I mentioned is that they ended up you know buying my company. But the other thing, because I know we're talking about you're interested in sort of investing peer groups and investing communities, and you know that there's 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 Tiger Twenty One and there's there are other ones that have Heidi's Better Investing, which is. I think perhaps the largest one in the United States, the dues are 100, about $100 a year. And uh, I think it's a nonprofit. So I don't get anything from saying this, but I just want to say it's a really cool organization about sort of um, facilitating a peer group for, for investors that a lot of people are not aware of, even though it's pretty big. Yeah, I never, I didn't know that. I mean, I knew of them. I didn't realize that's what they did. So you sold to, to Better Investing and just because you had a bunch of what, like, like, standalone businesses that could support the investing of people in digitally is that kind of, or in the real yes. world 
Yes. And, and what year did you guys uh, sell the business to Be- Better Investing? Well, that was uh, I was that was 2009. So that was okay. you know nine years later. But I was doing some other things. There was one of my colleagues uh, became um, uh, you know ran that company. It's called iClub Central. And I then uh, bought a uh, medical software company that was in the Los Angeles area in, in 2005. Uh, sold it in 2007, and then. Uh, you did a manufacturing business and, you know, did a bunch of other stuff kind of in parallel. What do you, so let me ask you a question because I think that a lot of people, at least the, I, I know for me, I'll just speak for myself. I was, I've always considered myself an operator, but I was, but I knew I was like, man, I really want to get into buying businesses. And I think that there's a, at least I'll speak for myself. That's kind of intimidating. You're like, well, where do I start? How do I do it? You know, what, for someone that's out there, that's, that's maybe thinking the way I'm thinking that's, Hey, I want to go buy businesses and help make them better and then turn around and sell them. Going back to my dad, my, what my dad said, you know, you don't make money selling gas, you make money selling gas stations. Mm-hmm. How would you, what would you advise a person that wants to do that to how to, how, how would you do it if you had to start from square one today to trying to do that? Yeah. So my, um, first of all, I think it's a little bit harder in this environment because there are a lot of the kind of lower market PE firms, uh, that will, um, you know, so it's a little bit, the multiples are higher than they were 10, 20 years ago. But I think there's still a lot of businesses out there you can buy for five times cash flow, five times pre-tax cash flow. Well, if you think of, if you can sustain that business at current profit levels, you're getting a 20% return on your capital. If you grow it, it's even better than 20%. And if you put leverage on it, if you choose to do that, you, you even So it can, be, it can be a great business if it sustains or gets better. In terms of your question about how to find it, you know, it's just basically, uh, it's a hustle it's a hustle business. You have to, um, there are a lot of people buying these businesses all over the country. If you make hundreds of phone calls or, you know, contacts, um, and I can go to more detail if, if like if, if listeners to the show are interested or, um, cause I don't want to take the whole time on this, but there are a lot of techniques that I use that I felt were effective because it's a competitive marketplace and sort of finding companies. I think it's good if your scope is, is the entire country and not just your local market, because that's, that's very limiting. And there's a lot of, and there's, as you know, there's a demographic shift. A lot of baby boomers retiring, selling their, you know, their kids aren't interested in the company they're selling. Uh, so there's, um, I always looked for, I only bought businesses that were the market leaders in their market segment, even if it was a small market segment, that was just me. And I can explain why that was important to me. Um, so, um, so basically that's what, that's what I did. How, so let me ask a question on that. So first of all, what was like, when you say like a leader in a market segment? Give an example of that. So yeah, so so a lot of people say they're leaders, and it just it just means that they think highly of themselves. Um, the, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, what I mean by leaders is very specific: is that if you take that they have more customers than any other uh, vendor in that market in that product segment. So Got that's it. what I mean okay. by leader. So it means number of customers that you have doesn't have to be revenue necessarily. Doesn't have to be you have the best product. Um, but just that you have the most customers, because in my experience, if you're the vendor that even if I, you know, I, I bought a business that, that I wasn't experienced in that, uh, particular industry, if I could tell customers, private customers, look, we're the product most often, most, most often chosen by, by your peers. Um, that's super powerful. A lot of people will buy just based on that and they won't look so closely at the product and, you know, other things. And so, um, in, in, my next question for you is you know, there's buying a business that becomes a job and then there's buying a business that you own the business and someone else is running it. So mm-hmm. walk me through how you think of that. Because if I'm out there trying to buy a business and I'm paying five times 
cash flow. Yeah. And I'm just using those numbers because they're the numbers you used. But I'm buying, let's say I, there's a great business I find in Juneau, Alaska, and I live here in Austin, Texas with you. It's like, what's the, you know, isn't, is there a minimum size that you need to buy? How do you think of that so that you're not buying a job that, that you then have to move to Juneau, Alaska to run? Cause I sure as hell don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, well, there is, there is sort of a minimum size. If you, I think it's better, frankly, to, uh, to move to Juneau, Alaska personally. And, um, and, uh, even if you do it for, uh, for two years, or you you go every other week or, or, or whatever it is. And um, because, um, and particularly if you're sort of starting out doing it, and maybe these are not huge companies starting out with, right? So first of all, you're, um, you're getting a salary, which if you're starting out, you know, that can make a difference, you know, in, in, your, in the economics of the deal. Um, secondly, you're really learning the business well. So if you have some operator in there, can you know kind of feed you BS or tell you stuff and and you don't know if it's true or not or if that's really good but you get a lot of wisdom running something for for a couple of years so I think that's the best way to do it um, but yeah you can also but the problem is you have to go you have to get a bigger company you have to have a company that at least does you know I don't know two million of um, let's say um, uh, pre-tax profit maybe you do it with a million if you want to either there's a CEO already in place or you go through you know hire a recruiter to, to get a CEO and then there's risk whenever you have a new CEO that it doesn't work out um, and you're far away you don't have a lot of control and the dollar amounts are higher so if you're just starting out doing this like if you um, then and you don't have uh, uh, you know uh, millions of dollars of capital uh, that, um, you know, because it becomes a little riskier, but you can definitely, you know, that's, that's just different. So there's just basically two different models where you do it yourself or you hire someone and there are pros and cons to each, each one. So, so was your perspective that, and did you end up having to move for some of those businesses? Was that part of your, or did you end up doing it yeah. the way you're talking about right now? Well, I did, I did where I would go every other week, like the Los Angeles business, for example, the, the, um, the Los Angeles business, I would go every other week and I, and I was there. Uh, for actually, I was there. It happened to be until it sold, uh, and um, and yeah, that was um, uh, taxing on you know family life, and um, um, and uh, I'd say it wasn't a cakewalk, but I think it was the right thing to do for the, for for that business. Yeah, I would agree. I, I had a business once where I was running, it was in Fairfax, Virginia, and I was living in San Francisco and I had a team on the ground. It was, it was a business within a business and I was out there a week out of the month and I had a mm -hmm. one-year-old, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, look, belly to belly. It's hard to, and I know everyone's used to the Zoom stuff or doing stuff virtually, but it's just not the same, you know? And, and I, and, and to your point, if I'm going to go, let's use an example of a $2 million free cash flow investment. I'm either going to put $10 million of my own money into it if I have 10 million bucks, which is a mm -hmm. lot of money. $2 million is a lot of money, but 10 million is a ton of money. Mm -hmm. um, or I'm going to go raise all, if not most of that money from other people. And so to say like, yeah, I'm just going to manage it over Zoom. I just think yeah. it feels irresponsible as I say it. How do you th feel about that? I, I totally agree with you. I think a lot of investors would, would uh, not want to do that deal yeah, if, I would. If, you're not, if you're not there. Yeah, I'm going to manage it from afar, Darius. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, yeah. Hey, good, good luck. I, I was talking to a girl here in um, Austin 
and she was willing to move to Dallas for this business she was trying to buy. But uh, but the terms of the deal weren't very good. And I said, listen, mm-hmm. if and they were like, she was giving away like 3% of the company and they were giving 100% of the money. And I said, if you can find dumb money, you should take it. But like, I'm just yeah. not dumb money. Sorry. Yeah. So what do you think about that dumb money versus smart money on from an investor standpoint? Like how, how do you see that uh, from a person raising capital versus a person giving capital? I mean, yeah, it's true. There's, there's dumb money out there. Uh, the, um, you know, the problem with, um, you know, people who raise money, if they're like a celebrity raising money or, or that you happen to have like a lot of family members who, you know, are just like, yeah, whatever you want, I'll, I'll give you the money. You know, they don't really, they're, um, you know, the danger is, is that it's just a bad idea <laughs> because then it's yeah. going to fail and then everybody loses, the entrepreneur loses as well or the business buyer loses as well. So yeah, there's dumb money out there, but it's not a really good strategy, you know, counting out that you're, it's a really bad strategy saying, well, I'm going to raise dumb money. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it, it obviously depends on where you get the money from, but let's just use family as an example. I use it, this, this analogy a lot with folks, I go, or not this analogy, but this example where I'll say the upside of taking money from family, and maybe you have some perspective on this, is that it works out. The downside, that's my upside. My upside is it works yeah. out and everyone's happy, um, which no one goes into a business expecting it not to work out. So the upside is, is that it actually happens the way I hope it happens. The downside is I blow up the relationship. Right? Yes. So what are your, what's your perspective on taking, because if it doesn't work out, I don't care, unless they're to your grandma and she's just like, doesn't care. And even then she, your grandma might care. The, there's going to be some sort of weird riff where I just took your money and gave you zero back or half back or whatever. And you like, I feel like people are, have, everyone's different when it comes to money, but there's an emotional attachment that a lot of people have to money. How do you, how do you see that when taking money from friends and family on the investor side? Well, I think, you know, there are a lot of great businesses that were, um, that were successful and made people, um, you know, sort of reach their potential because they had family members or friends who, who, uh, thought highly of them and, and put their money there when they didn't have any, you know, maybe qualifications or whatever. And so, um, I think it's a factor, but I, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, look, most, most entrepreneurs, people doing this, you just kind of, you know, scramble and you get whatever you can. And so I don't look askance as someone who cobbles together and, and they're earnest and they cobble together, you know, funds wherever, wherever they can. But yeah, there's something to be said if it's a professional investor or set of professional investors, you'll get you'll get better scrutiny on it, and you won't. Um, you know, these are professional people, and if if they lose if they lose money, it's not like they were they didn't know what they were getting into um, kind right. of thing. So there is a certain um, I think there is a certain um, I don't know what the right word is um, that it, it feels it feels better that way. But, you know, a lot of like, I felt like, you know, when I was uh, in my mid twenties, um, you know, I didn't have, I maybe mean, wasn't mature enough to, um, to, to think that through really well. Yeah. And I think that's I the case think for a that, lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I also think when you're younger, it's obviously there's less at stake, right? People just want to support your like growing yeah. up. Like I took, I, lo- I lost a hundred thousand dollars and that was like money I had inherited from when, when my mm. father passed away. Like my mom was cool with it. It sucked. I gave her the money back later. I think maybe I didn't, I don't know. <laughs> I thought I yeah. did. Um, but you know, I will, if she wants it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the, it, it obviously depends. So I want to pivot a little bit because I know that we've been talking a lot about, you know, your perspectives on business. And I really appreciate the, the, you know, man, I consider you one of the, the, the smartest people I know when it comes to stuff like this, but, um, I'd love to pivot to some of your passions because I know that you are, you're what I consider 
somewhat of a renaissance man. I know you're a humble guy and maybe you don't feel that way, but I definitely feel that way about you. Um, you know, you have interests outside of business and you've written a couple books. Could you maybe talk us through that? Cause, cause they're, they're, you know, I'm going to pick a word that, that I don't know if you'll agree with, but it's almost esoteric, like the type of stuff that you're interested in. That's like, it's not like I wrote a book on the core value equation, which is like this book around how do you build a core value driven business? You wrote, you, you write, have written this book, the new, you've written two books, right? Yes. Uh, this just, yeah. And both, both times they were really these like, like totally like, like out there niches, but I'm like, how the hell did he come up with this? Like, yeah. talk us through that a little bit. You know, you have the category of, of bestsellers, which your your book is in that category. This is the other end of the spectrum, where it's kind of a kind of a least seller. But the um, but this latest one is basically, you know, this is um, so yeah. As we talked about, I lived in Hungary and I learned the language because all my employees didn't, you know, a lot of my boys didn't speak English and so forth. And I had a hobby. Uh, my, my maternal grandmother was an antiquarian book dealer in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. So I would hang out with her and I really got into like collecting books and that kind of thing as a kid. And when I was, when the bagel business wasn't working out and, you know, I got depressed and I befriended this antiquarian book dealer and uh, he would, uh, you know, I'd go in late at night and we would hang out. And I started collecting Hungarian books and, you know, I got familiar with kind of the families. And Hungary had a really tough 20th century. I mean, learning about Hungary and there are a lot of places or a lot, but you know, it, it feeds, it, it ties into entrepreneurship and life itself because um, reading about and learning about hardship, human hardship is super meaningful uh, to me. Uh, and it's also preparatory because you, you, you read about how people dealt with hardship and it's sort of an arms one to be ready when they face the hardship, which everyone does at a certain point in life. So anyway, so I learned about this guy, his name is Albert Kinnear, who had this, uh, you know, he was, he was partly paralyzed in World War I from an injury. Um, he was the youngest child in this sort of famous book publishing family there, and I collected their books. And, and he just kept, you know, it was a small country, there was the, the Great Depression. Um, you know, he was an artist, and he would just... You couldn't survive just painting or something. You had to be a painter. You had to be a graphic designer. You had to be a packaging designer, a furniture designer, stage set designer. So we had this sort of audience. He went to, you know, the Bauhaus in, in Germany. He had all these friends that he cultivated throughout, you know, Europe between the wars. And he just, but, you know, he just, you know, struggled and pivoted and, and it was, it was tough. And then finally he, um, 1940, he emigrated to Chicago and, um, through a series of events happened very quickly, he pioneered the entire con uh, consumer packaging industry. So if you go to the supermarket, you will find his inventions like all over the supermarket shelves that still exist today, like the six pack of, of beer, you know, the cardboard six pack, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's what, so, so, you know, 30 years later, I was, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm going to write a book about this guy because it's a really cool story. That's um, so cool. And that's, so yeah. Can you give us some of his, uh, I, first of all, it's fascinating. I, I love like I said, I, I think you're such an interesting, interesting human being. And just the fact that like you would geek out on something like that and knowing that it's, this came from, from you said it was up in New Hampshire, a, a, a bookstore your grandmother well, in. Well, no, this was okay. So, so I grew up, my grandmother had a bookstore in, in Mount Mountain, New Hampshire, but this was from when I was in Hungary. I befriended oh, right, this right. antiquarian book dealer and I learned about all these. There's a whole micro, you know, just like there are all these communities in the world. There's a whole microcosm of, you know, Hungarian bibliophile uh, book collectors and, and book book publishers of the 20th century. Yeah, 
No, no, no. I, I gathered that. But the fact that it was born from that, I think is cool. And then, yes. and then you get to Hungary to start your bagel shop and then stumble upon this like super niche thing that people are obsessed about. Um, was the design of your book, which I'm going to show an image of right now, was that based off of this like kind of vintage, like how did you, the design's beautiful, by the way, but how did you think of this type of design? Was that based off of like this ideology around antiquated books? Yeah. So that these were all his designs. So the cover of the book is basically his design and there's wrapping. Each book is individually wrapped with his, um, uh, with his design. And so, cause he did decorative wrapping paper for like Marshall field and all these different, you know, sort of department stores. And, um, and I wasn't designer of the book, but we found this sort of wonderful young Hungarian book designer. Her name was Shotzi, which is a abbreviation of, of Charlotte in, in Hungarian, who basically, you know, was uh, did a great job designing the book. And it was because it's a book about a just as a biography of a designer, the design of the book itself, you know, is 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 fitting. Seems fitting. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. Um, just in case like anybody wants to like look it up or check it out. It's a, it's a really cool book. I, I've, I haven't read the whole book yet, but I started like looking through it. It's got beautiful images. It's a beautiful book in of itself. Where could someone, if they wanted to get the book, how would they get it? Uh, if you, if you search Albert Kinnear, K-N-E-R on Amazon, you can find it. You can also, if you're in Manhattan, the new gallery and in, in the Upper East Side sells it. If you're in London, Whitechapel Gallery sells it at a bookstore. It's starting to sort of fan out different bookstores, mostly sort of museum bookstores. Um, it's starting to get traction there. That's so cool. And so, um, like for you, like how long did it take you to create that book? I mean, doing a book is a really big project. I'd love it's to hear your pretty much uh, two years, two years, not full time, but you know, half time, you know, two years, the research, I have a wonderful co-author. He actually wrote a, the biography, he doesn't speak or read English. So he wrote a biography that was published 20 years ago. And, um, and he, it was hard for him to do the American, the research on Albert's American life because most stuff was in English. So I went to him, I befriended him and we decided to do this, this project together and sort of enhance what he created 20 years ago. That's so cool. I have two questions for you. So the first question is like, if you start to like, like someone that wants to learn more about Albert, like what were his top like few inventions that he's known for? You mentioned one, which is like the six pack, the cardboard six pack. Yeah, the cardboard six pack. The other one is the, uh, I know, you know, cigarette smoking is not uh, fashionable these days, but you know, the, the cigarette package that has the flip top. So he invented, yeah. he invented that. And literally just hundreds of things about uh, that, that you will, and so much of the methodology. And he also had a market research department. So, you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar, like website designers use eye tracking de devices to track mm -hmm. your eyes and how people, uh, their mm -hmm. eyes move over websites. So that's all pioneered, oh, yeah, yeah. pioneered by him because it was used for packaging design. They would test different packaging by hand. They actually had, it wasn't digital camera, but it was like a regular camera that would film people's eyeballs as they, it's just a really weird device and all these other kind of market research technologies that are in use today. Uh, that he wow. that he pioneered. So a whole bunch of stuff. Graphic designs like Kraft macaroni and cheese, Cheerios, cereal. You know, just like a whole bunch of stuff that you know we eat in our daily lives. That that he was uh, responsible for the design of. Was so, so he was more or less an industrial designer. Is that what you yes. uh, characterize him? He, he was exactly an industrial designer. Yes. Was he involved with? I, I mean, this is a total off the wall question, but but was he involved at all with like Buckminster Fuller? Would, did they have anything to, going on there, together? There was no collaboration that at least I found in my research, but they're definitely kind of of a similar you know similar ilk, um, and I'm sure knew of each other. There was um, 
this, uh, so Albert Canera's boss was this CEO of this company. It was the largest cardboard box company in the United States. And he started this thing. Actually, he ended up, he bought this kind of derelict abandoned mining village in, um, in Colorado called Aspen, Colorado. And he, <laughs> and he, uh, and he set up this, this festival called Aspen. It's now called Aspen Ideas, but it was called Aspen international uh-huh. art or something like that. And so that was, they would gather people there. I bet uh, Mr. Fuller was probably on the guest list. I would, and so Albert Canier was a big part of that too. And that's kind of the, um, that, uh, you know, in the forties, fifties, sixties, that was, um, you know, what was going on. That that's time. so cool. That's yeah. so cool. So for, so for you, do you have any other books that you want to write? Is it, or I know you just got done with this one. Do you have, I, I have a couple of books in the back of my head where I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. Do you have any, do you, do you think of it like that? Nothing imminent. You know, I've been writing short stories for, uh, 20 years and they'll never see the light of day, you know, but I do have a, um, I do have a thought that, because basically like this, this book here, I mean, it's, a, it's not, it's not a literary masterpiece. It's okay. This biography that we were just talking about, but it's, um, you know, I think a lot of people have the, um, the fantasy that if they've had other careers, whatever, oh, I'm just going to write, or you write, you read a book and you're like, oh my God, this is an incredible book. Like I can write a book like that, but you actually try to do it. It's really hard to, to write well, to write yeah. good literature. And, um, and the people who are successful at it have been doing it for, for 20 years. And they do it every single day. Uh, and so, oh. so I have all these kind of mediocre short stories. I do have this sort of fantasy that maybe if I do a hundred, you know, one of them will be good just by, just by chance. Yeah. You got to so we'll say, yeah. I know you're saying they won't see the light of day. I think that you need, I, I think you gotta, you gotta defy your own odds and just put out the book, the short stories by Robert maybe, Brooker. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. It could be a, it could be a least, it could be a least seller too. Who cares? Like, Who cares? That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think the world needs to hear what you have to, what you have to say. Um, so what I want to do is kind of pivot a little bit because look, you're at this, this season in your life and, and I, and I've gotten to have, you know, not a front row seat, but a, like a second row back seat of watching you sell your last business, pivot. And I know you were doing investing before this, but really go kind of full-time investing. And then also looking at being on boards and in your book and really just kind of like doing stuff outside of what happens when you're operating and running a business. Right. And mm-hmm. so you're, so am I characterizing your life fairly yes. accurately right now? Yes. Yes, you are. So, so for you, like being in this season of your life, how do you feel as opposed to when you're in the, the seat of, okay, I got this business and I know that you were not, you had, I think a CEO running it or a president running the business, but mm-hmm. does it feel, do you feel like the itch to like start new companies? Like what, what's the itch right now? There's some of that itch, but I don't think I'm going to follow through on it, uh, on that itch. Um, because the. You know, it's the whole, I don't know if this is sort of the human uh, condition of the grass seems greener on the other side, no matter, no matter what you're doing in some ways. So, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs go through this after they sell their businesses. So being in the game of, of being a business owner, whether you started or not, um, there's a huge excitement about it. And there's also huge stress about it and huge risks that you take, particularly for your assets, you know, your assets are concentrated in, in one business or and, um, but there's a little bit of a rush to it, you know, things go up and down and then, you know, a lot of people sell their businesses, they become investors. I know, you know, you know, a lot of people like that as well. We both do. And you have this sort of diversified portfolio, you know, of like 20 different things. And 
it, you, you know, if you, if you do well, you earn 8% or 12 or 10%. <laughs> You know, and yeah, uh, that's great. And and you think everything's going to do twenty percent, but then you lose one hundred percent of your money on one thing, and you average it all together, and you know, ends up being eight percent or twenty percent. It seems kind of boring, in contrast. Um, and um, but there's probably greater financial stability, or at least a perception of it. And um, so I'm just grateful for that in my life. And uh, you know, I know the. Um, a lot of your guests are, are building empires. Uh, my, uh, you know, my empire—I mean, I wouldn't call it an empire, but my, you know—is uh, is in stasis or maybe even in in decline. Um, but but maybe in 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 a poetic way, maybe I'm building my poetic empire. You know, at this stage yeah. of life. And so, um, but um, but yeah, so that's kind of you know that's that's kind of where I'm at. I, I don't think I'm gonna get back in the game, and I think this thing that I'm doing. That I'm wrapped up right now about the, uh, you know, the, the Biden campaign is exciting me a lot right now, and probably will for the coming year. And um, and so sort of just other, I'm finding other things to get excited about. Yeah, let's talk about that. I wanted to dive into that. I know we're nearing last the last you know 15 minutes of the show. Um, you're good on time, right? For 15 more minutes, is that good? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's do that. Um, so yeah, like we have a, an election year is coming up in in a couple months. Uh, if this election is anything like last election, which is probably the last two elections, it's probably going to be, um, I think there's a technical term for it, a shit show. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, it's like so funny. Like after the last election, I was like, man, I'm not looking forward to the next election. And like, here we are. It's uh, these last four years of come and gone. Um, so yeah, like, tell us about that. You're, you're heavily involved with democratic party. Um, you're raising support for president Biden's reelection. I'd love to hear kind of where you're at on that. Well, I, you know, look, I have, I have respect. I'm pretty, pretty centrist. I have, I'm not, uh, so, and I have huge respect for pretty much all the Republican presidential candidates and, and presidents in, in my lifetime. You know, I thought Mitt Romney, uh, John McCain, Bob Dole, uh, George W, even though he made a catastrophic mistake with the Iraq war, they were all kind of honorable people. Um, they, they had integrity, um, you know, except for like, except for, you know, Richard Nixon, let's say, and, and Donald Trump, you know, he's, so I think this situation is a very, um, I hope it's a once in 20 year or once in 40 year, uh, type scenario where you have someone who, uh, all evidence is sort of patently dishonest and, and self-serving. And I think. You know, when Trump first came into the office and he was new to government, you know, he surrounded himself with people who had government experience and they kind of kept him in reign. But if he gets elected again, it's going to be much worse. Um, he will just choose lackeys. You know, Mike Pence, even though I don't agree with a lot of his opinions on things, he was at least an honorable person. You know, we're yeah. not going to have it this this time around. Uh, and. That's why I feel, and what I'm suggesting to people is that, look, if you want to get involved and let's say you, people give politically um, a little bit here and there, you know, I even advocate for whatever you're planning to give over the next 10 years, accelerate it into this year. Uh, and um, because hopefully I'm betting on the fact, I mean, Republicans always have, both parties will have some fringe elements to it, but I'm betting on the fact that Trump will be out of the way in five years and and the Republican Party were going back to being sort of an honorable party, and then you know it's less uh, it's less dire. So that's why I feel it's super important. And you know it's a little bit like um, you know I have 
I'm not going to say his name, but you and I both know him. Uh, there's a guy you and I both know who, you know, he raised he raised a fund from his friends, uh, and he's he's a sort of Trump fan, and he ended up pilfering millions of dollars for himself. And I feel like it finally hit hit me recently. I'm like, you know what? There's it's a little bit like I feel like there's time when I was in middle middle school, and I was in a class, and everybody was cheating in that class. Like everyone was looking at each other's papers and you know tests and everything like that everyone's cheating and if you don't cheat like you see it's like you're such an incentive when everybody's cheating and if the leaders of our country are just cheating all the time it has this contagious effect on our society and that's why i think it's super important and you know i've been people have um concerns about president biden and talk about his age and so forth and i'll just say that i was in his presence for for two two hour sessions with him over the past year and the entire two hours each time he was incredibly vibrant Tony Trey, you know he talked about he would talk 45 minutes without any notes incredibly cogently it's true he, he had a speech impediment as a boy and young man and occasionally he stumbles over words and these tiktok style videos go around showing him stumbling over a word for five seconds but you know i'm just happy to have somebody not perfect but someone who has integrity and who makes good decisions 80 percent of the time and that's why I feel like this is super important for our democracy. What um so so going back to your experience in front of Biden and, and like I'm I I I'm ha- like like uh, what's her face Feinstein just passed away and like it's sad when anyone passes away she was ninety years old and I was like I swear to God because I, I don't maybe I need to pay more attention but I don't pay attention to the news at all so like I, you know things kind of come up in my. I, I follow the financial news. So CNBC is what I follow and like things will pop up on there. And so obviously it came up when she passed away and I was like, Oh, I wonder how long she had not been a Senator for. I swear to God, this is what like the first thought in my brain. I'm like, Oh, I wonder when she retired from being a Senator and found out she was fucking still a Senator at 90. And yes, I was like, true. Holy shit. Like, and so my issue with all these people and like, I agree with you on I, I, like fundamentally, like we cannot have leadership that has questionable integrity and then and you know without getting into too many politics like i have an issue with any anyone that that thinks that that it's okay to just lie lie publicly and you know change things based on their own self-interest like that's my issue and it doesn't matter what party they're in it doesn't matter what job they have for that matter Mm -hmm. least of which should not be the president of the united states but um i saw that and i was like to, we we cannot have eighty and ninety year olds running our country. It's just like the, I mean, like the and again, like Trump's almost eighty, Biden's eighty. So I have an issue with that in of itself. But putting that, I'm just ranting right now because I, when I saw Feinstein, I was like, how the hell is she still ninety years old? I, I and and then I found out that that like states like Texas that where we live, that there's no term limits for governor for the governorship here. So mm. we have no term limits, and we have people like and not to say like Adler is you know is going to do this when he's 90, but he could, you know? And I'm sure. like, man, we need to have, we need to, we need to check our, uh, like with modern medicine, we need to, we need to check this, but putting that aside, sorry, I'm, I'm ranting at this point because I'm just annoyed, but putting that aside, you were in front of Biden. I see all these like clips of him basically looking like he's out to lunch. Everyone likes to make that assessment, it, you know, for two hours, like it, like it sounds like you were really, you know, there's no way they gave him a shot of like being smart in his arm for two hours. Like, 
what, what, like, tell us a little more about that because because I'd love to hear more about that. Well, a lot of a lot of that time he's meeting individual people and chatting with them. And by the way, he's not like he has secret security, but doesn't have you know handlers telling him what to say or anything like that. You know, he's totally on his feet. By the way, he's on his feet much more than I am. I, I spent a lot of my days sitting, you know, like this on a sofa. Mm. And he's like on his feet all day, uh, basically, and traveling all the time. And, uh, you know, it's a grueling schedule. And he's talking to people. He's very, he comes across very compassionate. He can talk, like I'll ask him about stuff and he'll he'll talk. He'll, he'll know like all the legislation and efforts and executive orders about that particular topic, you know, that have happened over the last year. He'll just go right into them. So... He's very um, on top of things, and um, and to see that sustained over a two-year period—not just meeting me, but meeting you know fifty other people, plus giving a forty-five-minute speech—you um, know that takes it, it without a single stumble. Uh, that 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 um, I think says something. And you know, you have there is precedent for this. You know, William Gladstone, who is one of um, the UK's most successful prime ministers, his final year in office was age eighty-four, and this was. You know, 19th century when you know 1984 yeah. was was uh, was Way older, older than it is it is today. So I don't think being old uh, dis- disqualifies one from. And I think actually his experience. I think Biden probably makes better decisions at this age than if he were president at age 50. Frankly, and I don't know if this is the case. Uh, I mean, I think he he does a, he does a lot of work. But let's say for the sake of argument, let's say he was slower. And instead of making, you know, 100 decisions a day, he makes 20 decisions a day, a day. And those decisions are higher quality. I'd rather have that, you know, than, than, than quantity and, and, and poor judgment. So, um, and, you know, the fact of the two is that, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, who could be running or should be running. And we're getting to the point now where it's going to be soon too late to have those discussions. It's just, you're going to have two choices and that's it. Yeah. And so one just has to, I think, come to terms with that and, and make a choice. There's a new there's a new party that I started checking out that Andrew Yang started, which is a called the Forward Party. Have you heard of them? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I started I, I started checking them out. I haven't done anything with them, but but essentially it's a bipartisan third party. I really do think that we need to have a third party in this country, but that's not going to get solved anytime soon. I think that's really dangerous right now. This election, is, a third party is super dangerous because it'll pull, you know, it'll, it'll, but I think it's a great idea long-term, but if they just yeah. like do it after this election, please. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree. I, I think that, that this is the last, we should, we like, we as Americans need to demand more from our politicians. And at the end of the day, they work for us. I know it, it doesn't always feel that way because of the way uh, the, crony capitalism and whatnot so i think that there needs to be some adjustments to it to the way we run our country but the reality is is that these people work for us and we should feel safe when someone's someone's in office and not let the media tell us what what we should feel we should feel that they're that this person is going to make our lives collectively better not just 38 percent of the population which is what i've you know i honestly feel that there was a lot of that the last go around which and I'm a person that walked in the last election. I know some of the listeners are like, Darius doesn't like Trump. I'm like, I don't like Trump because I think he's a shitty leader. You know, I, I really, that, that's my issue with them. And I, I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, and I don't like hypocrisy and there's a lot of that. And you can say the same around, around probably any elected official because of the way the media spins it. But, but I, I think it's, there's overwhelming evidence to that, to that fact. And like, 
you could say there's a witch hunt for him, but there shouldn't be this many lawsuits against a a you know former president. Like that's just like that's just like is is easy math in my mind. Yeah, there was just the same temptation to to sue or to to, to prosecute you know Democratic former presidents. You know, and and if if there was stuff going on, it would have. I mean, you have like you know, um, you know, whitewater for the Clinton years and that kind of thing, which ended up going nowhere. So, I mean, you know, that's not like one party's more aggressive than the other at this kind of stuff, but there's just so much stuff and, you know, lying on bank loan applications and, um, you know, you don't have to, one can be successful in business and not, you know, lie on your bank loan applications or, um, or don't pay your vendors, you know, when they do good work for you. Or if you are a vendor, you want to get paid for your work and not be told, oh, sue me. I won't pay you, but if you want to sue me in court, you know, that's a contagious, that kind of attitude uh, gets, you know, as I mentioned before, it becomes contagious if we don't put a stop to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, that the, the Republicans will, will find a, a, a strong, a stronger candidate in, in, to, to, to get the nomination. That's my, I, I really do. I'm hopeful of that because there are some really, there's some really brilliant people on both sides of the aisle. Um, and I think there's an opportunity there for, you know, I, I think it's a great opportunity for the Republican Party. I, I, I would hope that that happens, me personally. Oh, man. You know, here we are coming to the end of the show. And um, I didn't I didn't give you a heads up on this, but I'm going to I'm going to surprise you with a little question. We call the greatness question here at the greatness machine. Uh, do you, are you game for a little greatness question, Robert? Sure. All right. So I'll do my best. Que- and, yeah, I know. No, I know you're doing your best. Uh, you're going to crush this. So what is the number one barrier to creating greatness that you've overcome in your life? And how did you overcome it? Do I have a few minutes to answer this question? <laughs> do we have a time limit? Uh, you know what? Hey, listen, I, uh, we, we don't have a time limit. I'm going to, I'll do this. If it's, if you need more than like 10 seconds, then we'll edit out the time. Right. So take your no, time. I know. Your time. So, so basically, so what reminds me of it reminds me of romantic comedy that I saw. I love romantic comedies. Sure. Can't remember the name of the movie, but Reese Witherspoon was in it, and um, and Owen Wilson was in it. Can't even remember what it was called. It was probably ten or twenty years ago. And so here's the scene. So Reese Witherspoon goes in a psychiatrist's office, and Tony Shalhoub. You know Tony Shalhoub. He's a psychiatrist. Okay. And. She's that he's like, well, why are you here? She's like, well, I have, I have two visits. I'm, my insurance is about to run out and I have two visits for free. So that's why I'm here. He's like, no, no. Like, what's your, what's your issue that you have, you want to talk about? He's like, oh. And then she's like, oh, this is a waste of time. I'm leaving. And then she comes back in again and she's like, okay, let me ask you this. Like, what's, you have a lot of experience, doctor. What's like one thing that can be of general use to anybody? He's like, that's a great question. He said, he said, Figure out what you want in life and then figure out how to ask for it. And what I thought was very interesting, this is a realization that I had at one point in my life, is that kind of the conventional wisdom would be figure out what you want and then how to get it. But the question how to ask for it is very telling to me because it basically acknowledges that usually getting where you want in life is dependent on other people and sort of our interconnectedness as as human beings. And figuring out, you know, how to ask the questions and for, for what you want and who to ask them from. I think that was like a really, uh, you know, some people succeed and they're just like alone in a room and they figure out some trading strategy that makes a lot of money. So there's certain exceptions to it. But for most people who try to um, sort of work their way through life, they're dependent on their community and the people around them. And I think that was a realization that I had 
I, I won't say it's 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 created great. I, I'm a work in progress. I, I'm not saying that that I have I've achieved greatness, but it was a really key realization that I had ten or twenty years ago. That I'm like, you know what? That's that reoriented my thinking. I love it, man. That's wonderful. By the way, the name of that movie is How Do You Know? Oh yes, that's the name. Yes, yes. There, yeah, thank yeah, you. I, I had to look it up. I had to look it up. I haven't seen it. So is it worth seeing? <laughs> is it worth checking out? I mean, if you like romantic comedies generally, uh, yes, uh, you should. Oh, uh, I, I mean, it, it, I like rom coms, but, but but definitely see it just for that scene. All right, rom com. How do you know it is, man? Robert Brooker. So much gratitude from us here at the Greatness Machine having you on. I really appreciate it. this. Was such a fun conversation. I mean, it really like I had high expectations, and of course. You blew it. You blew the the doors off with with an amazing show. Thank you for that. You're very kind. I don't know if I deserve that, but thank you. So it most of all, super fun. Always hanging out with you. Definitely. Hey, do you mind uh, again for listeners that maybe want to learn more about the stuff you're working on, or get your book, or connect with you? Like, what's the best way for them to do so? Probably LinkedIn. So Robert Brooker. There are not too many of us. Uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, that's probably the best way. Awesome. And for the book, they can get that, you said, at those bookstores. And then also it's on, on sale at Amazon. Isn't that correct? On Amazon, yeah. Albert Kinnear, K-N-E-R. You can look it up. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll be sure to put that in the show notes. So if you guys want Thank to check you. it out, beautiful, beautiful, amazing book. Highly recommend checking it out. Connect with Robert. What what a You are a gentleman and a scholar, my friend. Appreciate you so much. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Until next time, everybody. Peace out. We love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, 
and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.